Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Welcome to Nature Folk. This is Selena Fox. And Nature Folk and Circle Talk, Circle Sanctuary's other podcast, which follows, happen as a means to share information and to inspire celebration and spiritual practice. Tonight, we continue our series on eco-paganism, Earth Day Every Day. I'd like to share with you some background on Earth Day, as well as ways of being able to incorporate environmental preservation and green living in day-to-day life. I begin by calling to the earth. Sacred earth, mother earth, earth spirit, You who are known by many names. You who are our biosystem. You who are our home. We call to you. We honor you. Come, be with us, planet Earth. Guide our consideration, our reflection, and our activism, that we not only live in harmony with other humans, other creatures, the plants, the ecosystems, and that greater web of life of which we're all part here on planet Earth. Not only on Earth Day, but every day. Come, bless us, guide us, inspire us, energize us. So mote it be. Earth Day began in 1970. I was part of the many people who were involved in organizing Earth Day events, April 22nd, 1970. At that time, there was a growing awareness about the need to clean up human pollution of the environment. Earth Day in 1970, was embedded in a much larger 
movement for more equality, liberty, and justice on the planet, for more peace, for work with better world. Earth Day's founder, U.S. Senator Gaylord Nelson, felt that it was important to have a day to focus national and global attention on the environment. In 1969, the year before, there had been a massive oil spill in Santa Barbara, California. That not only was part of his inspiration to raise public consciousness about the environment, to prevent such oil spills, but more importantly, to really look at ways of countering and stopping the pollution of air and water and land, to work for sustainable forms of energy. In the late 60s, beginning um, with the civil rights movement and then continuing on with the peace movement, with the growth of the women's movement and other social reform movements in the United States that were also um, happening in other parts of the world, it was a practice to do some education around a particular issue for social change. When Senator Gaylord Nelson um, started putting out the idea for Earth Day, he encouraged that there would be, all across the country, a teach-in, a national teach-in on the environment. Many people in many places picked up on this concept, and it was very much a grassroots organizing phenomena that unfolded for the very first Earth Day. Earth Day has continued to grow and evolve over the years. Millions of people now observe Earth Day, not only in the United States and in the English-speaking world, but across the planet as a whole. And with the emergence of digital media, it's become easier to share information and to connect people and to do celebrations of Earth Day, not only in face-to-face settings, but in cyberspace. In the very first Earth Day, I was on the campus of the College of William and Mary I was doing my undergraduate studies in psychology there. 
I was among those that answered the call to help organize a national teach-in at various local areas. We focused our teach-in on some very localized issues. In particular, one of those issues was cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay. I'm happy to report that not only was there good education done during that Earth Day, it set in motion some endeavors to not only do more education in that realm, but to translate that education into action. And the health of the Chesapeake Bay started improving as awareness about the needs of that particular ecosystem became more widespread and the motivation, the political will to do things to really counter the pollution and have solution um, came to be. Earth Day 1970 had some ripple effects in many different places as well as nationally. Indeed, Earth Day 1970 led to the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency in the United States. It also led to the passage of the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and the Endangered Species Act in our country. Earth Day is now being celebrated each year by thousands of environmental groups in um, nearly every country around the world. It's important to continue the education about the environment, especially since some of the problems that existed back in 1970 continue to be with us despite the activism and despite the education. One of the biggest challenges of our times has to do with climate change. Although overwhelmingly, scientists, not only in the U.S., but around the world, recognize climate change which has a human component to it um, that's very widely accepted in scientific circles, there are still people who are climate change deniers and that are seeking to reverse some of the very things that were set in motion back in 1970 and in subsequent years. One of the real powerful things that happened in 2015 was the signing of the Climate Accord by countries 
all across the United States. Unfortunately, with a change in administration in this nation, the U.S. has pulled out of that agreement. However, states and cities and other parts of the U.S. are still very committed to that. And it is my hope that the U.S. will have the political will to shift its position back to working with all the other countries in the world to reduce carbon emissions and to collaborate with people of many places, of many races, of many cultures, of many nations to bring about healing as well as sustainability for life on planet Earth. Earth Day Every Day, that is a slogan that has long been associated with Earth Day celebrations. Having a day to focus on the environment, to do public education, has really helped with the quest for a healthier planet. But ultimately, what's going to take humans doing is to not just focus on environmental preservation and sustainability one day a year, but to have this every day in the year. I'd like to share with you some of the ways that one can have Earth Day every day. Some people have asked me in some workshops and talks that I've done at conferences and festivals and other events over the years, well, there are so many areas that need help. How do I go about making a difference? What can one person do? My reply has been, pick something, learn about it, focus on it, and find a way to be part of a healing force on that particular selected focus for the environment. And join with others who share that concern. Also, to recognize that the microcosm and the macrocosm are very much interrelated and linked. As many people as possible doing individual 
changes in daily life to reduce the carbon footprint, to reduce, reuse, recycle, repurpose items in our lives, these can have a cumulative effect. So one thing to do is to spend some time and have an evaluation of what you do each day using energy. So a first step would be paying attention to what kind of devices you may have hooked up to electricity. Are they in some kind of on-call mode or are they off? If you are able to do so, to actually turn off devices rather than have them be in sleep mode, that will save energy. Lights on in a room. Turn the lights on when you're going into the room and needing them in the room. And when you're done with being in that room, turn the lights off. Some people have gotten smart technology, especially in newer homes, and there are means where lights can automatically go off as everyone leaves the room. You don't even have to you know, work with a switch, though many of us are still at the switch level of um, dealing with electricity. Another thing that one can do is pay attention to water usage. Even if you're at a place where there is plentiful of water, um, whether it is um, in a rural area where you have a well, or you're in a suburban or urban area where you're connected with some type of city water utility. When you're using water and you're done like washing your hands, well, turn it off. Um, really become more conscious of how much water you're using and running into the system. Another change on a day-to-day -day basis has to do with recycling. Now, recycling has been around for a long time, even before the word recycling um, was invented. People would take things and reuse them, and sometimes it's repurposed them, and so the concept is very much part of the human experience. Being able to pay attention to what kind of waste is being generated in your household and 
as one's purchasing items, purchase items that have packages that either can be recycled um, in some way. It might be um, some kind of paper that can compost. It might be aluminum packaging that can be, um, or glass packaging that can be um, changed into other kinds of packaging. That's another way of being able to adjust your lifestyle and start finding a way of conserving energy. Having an energy assessment of your home space. Often utility companies, electrical and gas power and light companies will do this service free of charge. Have them come into your home and there are a variety of um, gadgets that can sense leakage of air around windows and doorways. Um, Recommendations can be made and followed to really cut down on energy excess and leakage from a home area. Related to this is um, the idea of having your hot water heater insulated, um, often with a covering to help keep the heat of the hot water within the tank. Clearly, there's a growing trend to work with renewables such as solar and getting solar panels and energy that way to power some or all of your home would be a wonderful um, way to contribute to the well-being of the greater planet. How one drives one's vehicle is another consideration for Earth Day every day. Um, Increasingly, there are hybrid vehicles available that not only use petroleum, gas, um, but also electricity. There are now electric cars by a number of manufacturers, and increasingly there are places to plug in in a variety of different cities. Some places on the planet are actually going to renewables for automobiles and other vehicles. If you do have a vehicle that's just a gas vehicle, then learn about ways to drive it to maximize fuel efficiency. In addition to some of these very um, day-to-day type activities that can have a difference, 
it's important to also consider some other ways of contributing to environmental health. Part of this has to do with food selection and preparation. More people are finding the benefits of organic foods and getting foods from community-supported agriculture projects, CSAs. When you support the production of food that does not involve the use of toxic chemicals, pesticides, um, in the environment, you're creating a solution rather than pollution. There are farmers markets, there are um, organic sections and regular grocery stores, uh, some other ways of um, connecting with whole foods is to grow your own if you're in an environment where that is possible or supporting um, a CSA project, a farm. Um, there are urban farms as well as suburban farms as well as rural farms. In addition to looking at food and the use of energy, having consciousness about oneself in relationship with the larger world that we're part of. It's important to do environmental education for oneself, not just on Earth Day each year, but throughout the year. There are a number of programs on television and online, and some of the television channels and programs do have um, also have the online option. There are organizations that sponsor talks. There are movies that are available in theaters. Sometimes they're indie films. Um, there are classes courses being taught at universities, at holistic centers. Um, there's a variety of different opportunities for gathering information. One thing that could be done on a monthly basis is picking a day of the month. It might be the first day or it might be um, the, the day that you were born, and I was born on the 20th of October, so it could be for me the 20th of every month, I will go and make a point to learn something more about the present state of the environment and through learning to follow that up with action. 
education and action need to go hand in hand. For me, rather than just picking one day a month to do some education throughout the year, I endeavor to look at headlines and articles um, to get kind of an overview of things happening in the world. Um, One of the sources that I often use is Google News, and I have a section on the environment, and I look into some of the research reports that are coming out, some um, articles in news magazines and newspapers. Sometimes I watch some videos. If you find an article, a video, some other um, source of information that you have found interesting and helpful, and it is accurately written, so the sources of information are fact-checked and listed, then another thing that you can do as part of the way of taking action from reading about that is to share the link on social media. In fact, doing a review of social media Having hashtags, Earth Day, Environment, um, Green Planet, being able to check that in some of the social media platforms, that's a way to get some information about what's being shared by others. And if you find the information accurate and helpful, then it's a matter of doing sharing after you've reviewed that. Another thing that can be done to have Earth Day every day is to do spiritual practice. Perhaps you already have a home altar that you use for daily spiritual practice. If you do, you may want to use that as a focal point to not only work with the sacred, as you already are doing, but to include a symbol, a chant, a prayer, a meditation, and or some type of working each day at that location. Some find it helpful to do that connecting with the larger web of life that we're part of here on planet Earth, actually outdoors. For myself, I do an indoor part of daily spiritual practice at my Bridget Shrine, and then I go outside Uh, Regardless of um, temperatures, I'll bundle up if it's cold or um, get in light clothing if it's really hot. I will go and face the sacred directions. And as part of that greet the day ritual, I do experience myself connecting myself in awareness 
with the larger circle of life that's here on this planet and beyond. You may want to get an image of the planet, a small globe, or some type of deity image. It might be a green man. Um, Oberon Zell created what's known as the Millennial Gaia. That's one of my favorite images, who is a pregnant goddess, and her pregnant belly is actually the planet. And then he has some um, other images kind of woven into the design of different creatures and plants. You can get a photo of the Earth as seen from outer space um, at a number of places on the Internet. There's a really famous NASA photo that often is reproduced on Earth Day flags and photographs and websites. What do you do with the Earth image? So whether it's a 3D sculpture or a 2D print of some type, having that in your home, maybe on your home altar or perhaps in a special room where you do spiritual work, that can be an ever-present reminder of yourself being part of the much larger biosphere that is planet Earth. I have found it helpful to cultivate and sustain and deepen a relationship with the essence of our planet. Some people relate to that essence of our planet as a mother goddess or a father god, um, some as an earth spirit, some call that essence planet earth or spirit of planet earth. Developing a spiritual relationship with the planet doing invocation, doing meditation, doing prayers, chants, ritual, can strengthen that connection. And through that connection, one can receive guidance about the planet and some specific way or ways that one can be a force for healing and balance in the planet as a whole. Having conversations with those that come to visit your home, that live with you in your home, conversations about the planet building awareness of needs and not only having activism to address problems, but 
having some time to really celebrate the beauty of nature here on planet Earth is a really important thing. Earth Day every day can take many different forms. We've talked about some of them just now. And what I'd like to do in this next part of our time together is to share some ideas for Earth Day observances themselves. Earth Day typically is celebrated on or near April 22nd. That's the original date of its founding in 1970. Some people actually have a series of Earth Day events leading up to Earth Day, and um, for some, it continues on throughout the whole month of April. Consider having at least three ways of observing Earth Day. Earth Day on a personal level. This can take the form of doing some online research and news gathering about the environment. What's the latest news? What's the updates? Watching some videos. So doing some personal education at Earth Day time each year. Having time in which you reflect on what you've done for the environment over the past year and reflect on what you could be doing more in the year to come. On a personal level, you may want to journal, to write an article, to take some photographs, to set down some of your ideas and experiences in note form. To dress in green on Earth Day. To wear an Earth Day symbol of the planet or there's ecology symbols. It's a variety of different symbols that have been associated with Earth Day. Uh, there's um, Earth Day logos. There's um, images of planet Earth that have been adapted to jewelry. But personally celebrating Earth Day through personal, spiritual, and a practical expression. A second way of observing Earth Day is for your household. Inviting people in to celebrate with you. If you're living with others, having a household meeting about Earth Day 
perhaps a dinner, um, watching an environmental video together, having a discussion, really taking a look at ways of having a more sustainable household, have the household as a whole contribute more towards the environment, not just on Earth Day, but throughout the year. The third way of celebrating Earth Day is engagement with others, face-to-face and in cyberspace. There are many ways of doing this. There may be webinars online that you can take part in. There may be Earth Day observances. You can go out and be with others. You can get inspiration. Um, Often at big Earth Day events, there are a number of different booths from different environmental groups. You can learn about what's available in your area. But I think one really wonderful way of celebrating Earth Day with others that are beyond your immediate household is to go online and to post on social media links, um, photographs, quotes, personal thoughts about the importance of Earth Day and the environment. If you see things that inspire you, to share them. Do a live streaming video from some natural area that you visit on Earth Day. Or if you go to an Earth Day event and they permit some live streams and there's sufficient internet or cell coverage for that to happen, is to do some short live streaming um, reports about the environment, some of your viewpoints with that. Earth Day also can be a time to reach out to elected officials on the local level, on the state level or province or other territorial level, and on a national level. And at times there are global petitions and ways to raise your voice with others in more of a global sense. Be aware of what officials have as part of their environmental perspectives and actions. Support those who have a good track record on the environment. You might consider running for some type of public office yourself or volunteering for a nonprofit group that does environmental work. It's important to not only be educated about environmental problems and solutions, 
but to also incorporate on Earth Day and every day very specific actions. And one of those actions is also to be vocal about your support for the environment and to be able to encourage others to do the same. Earth Day every day. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Think globally, act locally. These are some of the slogans that have long been connected with Earth Day. Consider nature as a teacher. Consider the earth as your home. Recognize that together we can create solutions to reduce and eliminate pollutions. As you prepare to celebrate Earth Day this year, reflect on some of the things that I have shared here and you may want to set down for yourself an Earth Day everyday plan. And you may want to have as part of that plan something that you will be doing to impact the element Earth. Something that you will be doing to impact the element air something that you will be doing to impact the element fire or energy, something that you will be doing to impact the element water, something that you will be doing to impact the element spirit. Clean earth clean air, clean energy, clean water, clean earth, clean air, clean energy, clean water. And a brilliant spirit to aid in the increase of awareness of the importance of our environment. Bright spirit, clean air, clean water, clean energy, and clean earth. You might want to create your own type of Earth Day prayers, slogans, 
chants, rituals, meditations. In this last part of our time together, I share with you my Earth Day prayer. I first created this, an earlier version of this, in 1990 at the 20th anniversary of Earth Day uh, that we held at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve. And then in 2011, I updated it. And I invite you to work with this as well as to create your own Earth Day Prayer for Planetary Healing. May we stop soil contamination and deforestation. May we bring forth cleaner soil and reforestation. Power of the sacred earth, guide us in this work to bring healing to planet Earth. May we stop air poisoning and ozone layer depletion. May we bring forth cleaner air and atmosphere restoration. Power of the sacred air Guide us in this work to bring healing planet Earth. May we stop energy wastefulness and pollution. May we bring forth cleaner energy and energy conservation. Power of the sacred fire, guide us in this work to bring healing to planet Earth. May we stop water pollution and ocean destruction. May we bring forth cleaner water and ocean preservation. Power of the sacred water, guide us in this work to bring healing to planet Earth. May we put an end to social and spiritual toxicity. May we bring forth peace and spiritual harmony. Power of sacred spirit, guide us in this work to bring healing to planet Earth. May we live in harmony with other humans. May we live in harmony, all of nature, on this planet and beyond. May we work together to end planetary sickness, May we work together to bring forth planetary wellness. Power of Mother Nature, guide us in this work to bring healing to planet Earth.
so be it. So as we go into yet another Earth Day, let us hold in our mind that slogan, Earth Day every day, Earth Day every day, Earth Day every day. In conclusion, I'd like to share with you a bit about Circle Sanctuary and its work with Earth Day over the years. Each year, we hold Earth Day, a festival, on the Saturday closest to Earth Day. And... This year, Earth Day um, in 2018 comes on Sunday, April 22nd. So our Earth Day celebration will be Saturday, April 21st, from 9 in the morning to 5 p.m., being held at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve. Grace will be our coordinator. I will be assisting by presenting a workshop on herbs as well as facilitating our Earth Day ceremony. In the day, this is open to the public. It's free. Um, We're open for arrivals at 9 in the morning. At 9.30, Grace and I will be doing the opening circle welcome. Um, I'll talk a bit more about some of my work with Earth Day over the years. And then at 10 a.m., we have Embracing Decay, Getting Started with Home Composting. Zephyr will be teaching that. And there will also be some family programming. Paul will be taking youth up to our fairy shrine. We'll have a short break, and then at 11.30 in the morning, you can green the end of life with death midwife and circle sanctuary minister Sharon Stewart. And greening the end of life is something that increasingly is happening around the planet. Circle Sanctuary has one of the first green cemeteries in North America, And she'll be talking about environmentally friendly burial practices and ways of incorporating that in life's end arrangement. There will also be some family programming with Paul at that time, outdoor playtime and some organized games. And then at 12.30 p.m., there will be a picnic lunch, and folks can do some self-guided nature walks, um, go up to the cemetery if um, folks want to do that. At 1.30 p.m., I will be doing my workshop. It's a new herbal workshop, Herbs for the 21st Century. Um, and 
I'll be exploring ancient and contemporary ways of working with herbs in daily life to enhance personal well-being and relationships with nature. And the family programming that Paul will be doing will include an outdoor scavenger hunt, and there'll be a quest for the first signs of spring. Then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Zephyr will be doing urban gardening, making the most of your small spaces, and really talking about doing gardening in urban areas and having fresh growing foods available um, right in city environments. And there'll be some more family programming with Paul. And also around 3 p.m., I'll be doing some orientations for some youth groups um, from Samaria churches that are coming out to Circle Sanctuary. And then at 4 p.m., I will be facilitating our annual Earth Day ceremony. We're going to tune to nature with music and movement and meditation. It's a multicultural and interfaith ceremony, and we'll be holding it outside. We'll probably be closer to the buildings, and and we invite you to bring a rhythm instrument to play, if you have one, and a stone to give to our stone circle. And then we conclude the day with five at 5 p.m. So if you're interested, it does help us with planning. If you go online at www.circlesanctuary.org and um, on the main page, click on the Earth Day celebration and go ahead and sign up if you plan to come. There's more details about what to bring. And... Um, if you are able to join us face-to-face, we look forward to seeing you. And if you aren't able to physically come, we also invite you to tune in by checking out our social media. Um, there will be some photos, and who knows, we might even do some live streaming during the day. Thank you all for listening. And now I invite David and Jeanette Ewing to come on and Tell us about Circle Talk tonight. Good evening. Good evening. So we've got David here and Jeanette. Jeanette. Yeah, hi. Hello. Happy April. Happy or, April. Or and instead of January for some of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing <laughs> I want to add to your discussion is for a lot more information on how to become involved as an individual or as a group, you can go to earthday.org, www.earthday.org. They have a lot of information on what you as an individual or even small groups can do to honor Earth Day. Uh, It is worth noting that Earth Day 2018 is the end to plastic pollution. And that is what the main thing is that they are focusing on this year, although there are a lot of things you can do. So there are campaigns, you can take action. They have a number of different solutions, number of different suggestions on what people can do to help on Earth Day 2018 and specifically how to reduce the amount of pollution 
that you use and the amount of plastic that you use in your day-to-day life. That's fabulous, and and I'm excited to learn that um, there's a variety of different strategies, including some enzymes breaking down some plastic, um, and and some other ways of getting that plastic out of our environment, which isn't good for creatures and you know the planet as a whole. So thanks for those resources, and thanks. Uh, to both of you for all the work that you've been doing over the years to help with the environment. Thank you. And um, coming up on Circle Talk, we're going to continue our exploration of Pagan Spirit Gathering 2018 and some of our special presenters. Right. So tonight, uh, Deborah Rose will welcome Jenya Beachy, who's an author and teacher who will be presenting at this year's PSG so we can hear about her uh, what she's done, her books, and what she's going to be presenting at PSG and her experiences with that. It'll be a really good discussion. I think it's her first time on Circle Talk. So we're looking forward to learning more about this uh, presenter for PSG. Well, and um, I look forward to having her be a special guest at PSG this year. And what kind of music do we have taking us into Circle Talk tonight? So tonight we're going to transition with a song by Jennifer Cutting and Ocean called Green Man. Wonderful.
brethren, do not grieve. Green man, wild man, wise one. Life and death, an endless chain. Green man, king of the wood. All that falls will rise again. Green man, wild man, wise one. Green man, blessed wood. Oak and ash and thorn. In green man's brotherhood. All will be Sanctuary's radio ministry program. Join us here every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern following the Nature Folk program with the Reverend Selena Fox as we discuss various topics of interest to the pagan community. Circle Talk Radio is hosted on alternating weeks by Circle Sanctuary Ministers Jeanette and David Ewing and Circle Minister Deborah Rose. And before we begin, we would like to express our thanks to the Witches School International and the Pagan Center Radio Network for helping us reach our community. And for more information about Witch School, please visit them on the web at www.witchschool.com. And for more information about Circle Sanctuary, please visit us on the web at www.circlesanctuary.org. Welcome to our show. My name is Deborah Rose, and I'm your host tonight on Circle Talk. Have you registered for Pagan Spirit Gathering yet? Pagan Spirit Gathering, or PSG as you'll hear it called, is one of the state's oldest and largest nature spirituality festivals organized by Circle Sanctuary. Since its beginning in 1980, it has been held from Sunday to Sunday, week long, during the week around summer solstice. This year, that's June 17th through the 24th. PSG is set up to represent a temporary pagan village, and it's held at Tall Tree Lake in southern Illinois. If you'd like to register and get more information, please visit our website at www.sanctuary.org. One of the things that um, Pagan Spirit Gathering or G is known for is the fabulous workshops and the great presenters that they have each year. Tonight, we're going to meet one of the main presenters this year of PSG 2018, Jenna Beachy. She's the author of The Secret Country of Yourself, Discover the Magic of Your Endless Inner World. Let's hear a little bit about her. Within each of us, there is a hidden living land, immense and forbidding, wondrous and brilliant. There you will find treasures hidden between the stars, in the lights and shadows, the schools and cathedrals of your most holy being. Use materials from her book, The Secret Country of Yourself, Discover the Magic of the Endless endless Interworld. Jenna teaches us exploration of our sacred inner landscape, how it strengthens our connection and helps others serve our families and communities. Jenna has been teaching the old ways and forging new ones for more than 25 years. She has been the author, author of The Secret Country of Yourself, a Llewellyn book since 19, 2017. 
She's also the founder of the Deep Well Great Heart Society, a service organization that focuses on increasing the flow of compassion and healing throughout the world. For more information, you can go to her website at www.jennabeachy.com. That's J-E-N-Y-A-T-B-E-A-C-H-Y.com. Welcome, Jenya. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So have you been to Pegged Spirit Gathering before? I have never had the good fortune to come to Pagan Spirit Gathering before. We have a local festival that we have done here in the um, in the Santa Cruz Mountains for about 17 years, and I have always been on the planning group for that festival, and um, and so this year, because of course my book just came out, and and. After the book came out, I was just so excited to try to go to as many places as I could go and uh, and talk to people about the ideas in the book. Mm-hmm. And so um, mm-hmm. I have I have heard nothing but good stuff about PSG forever. I have two good friends who um, who PSG is their home festival. You probably know them. We could talk about that mm-hmm. later. <laughs> and, uh, and so this is. Um, this is my first time, and I'm so excited to to come out there and kind of uh you know spread the good news about what cool stuff I've been doing out here on the west coast yeah, it's really fun when you go there they 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 tell you welcome home and it's and I've been to many different types of festivals and and um spiritual and pagan festivals and um p s g is unique is that you stay there on the land and it, you really create a pagan village. And so it's mm-hmm. very um, nurturing and very feeds your soul. So I'm really excited that you're going to be going and we'll have to come back and we'll have, you'll have to tell me about your experiences and what you thought. <laughs> I would love to do that. So tell me, um, how did all this begin for you? Did you grow up pagan or... Or how did this begin? How did the door open for you? The the door opened for me. I, I you know I like I I when I think back to my earliest memories, like trying to pinpoint uh, some point in time where I can recognize that I was like a little weirdo, <laughs> a little pagan nature weirdo, <laughs> was um, when I was like. In, in like kindergarten and where there was some woods by our house and I would stand at the edge of the woods and I would call for the monsters to come out. And for me, that was like what I knew was Frankenstein or the mummy or the wolfman or whatever monsters yeah. were. But I was like, those, those monsters seem really intriguing and valuable. Like, <laughs> let's get those monsters out here. And a lot of ways, I feel like I'm kind of still doing that on a different scale and with different names for the monsters. Um, my parents were not uh, pagan. I didn't grow up in a pagan household. I'm I'm 51 years old, so I'm of uh, my children are of the generation that grew up in pagan households, but it but mm-hmm. it wasn't that for me. And uh, it was Starhawk, as it is for so many mm-hmm. people that kind of that let me understand that there were actual humans in the actual world who were working with some of these ideas that I had spinning around in my own head about. Um, connection to nature and the sacredness of the body and those sort of, uh, you know, a more earthy version of spirituality than what one might be taught in a church building. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, I 
I left Virginia <laughs> as a young woman and moved to California. And when I got to California, sure enough, I fell into a hotbed of witchery and, um, <laughs> and met, <laughs> met a lot of the people that I had read about in Drawing Down the Moon. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it just kind of blossomed from there. And that was, I came here in 1989. And, um, and I've been in the Bay Area ever since. And it's, this is a very, very rich area to kind of grow up as a pagan in um, to the point I think where sometimes it's just too much. There's too many options. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of my story. That's really fun. Do, now, do you identify with any certain path or tradition? I am an initiate of the Anderson Ferry tradition. Okay. All right. All right. But, I wanted but, to mention Starhawk. I didn't know if you were reclaiming. So you're fairy. Yes. I, my upbringing is fairy and my, my soul initiation is fairy. Um, the work that I do now is much more sort of, uh, interdenominational, I guess. Um, it still of course has that fairy flavor, whatever that is. (laughs) And, um, but at the same time, like with the book right now, for instance, I have people who are hard polytheists who are working with the book and I have people who are atheists, atheopagans, how they term themselves, that are working with the book. So, um, you know, it's much more of an open expression of how do we explore our own inner sacredness um, and, and from that place be able to move out into engagement with the rest of the world. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm the same way. I have been in Coven. Um, I'm a, um, a gardenerian initiate. I've been solitary. I've, you know, worked with Selena and Circlecraft. And as I've gotten older, I identify less and less with anything and just kind of consider myself a spiritual being. It's kind of um, funny that I find now I find truth in many, many different paths. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's just kind of interesting. So tell me, I'm always fascinated um, by people who are very creative, um, probably because I wish I was more so. Did um, Tell me how <laughs> your books started is this something you always wanted to be a writer did people tell you why don't you write a book did you have notes how did this process um the this well i i've been writing since i was a little kid um i wrote little tiny books you know little illustrated manuscripts for (laughs) want of a better word um, when I was a child and I've always considered myself a word person. Like if I wasn't writing, I was reading. So I have a great appreciation for, um, the, that form of expression. And so, um, it was always just a part of what I did. And, and when I, when I, um, came into a, a pagan community rather than just being a, a witch alone, um, uh-huh. there was, people were, writing rituals. And, um, and I was like, Hey, I want to do that. How's this poetry for you? And people were like, uh-huh. we'd love it. That's great. <laughs> Can you do more of that? So um, I did a lot of my writing, my, on my, on my first forays into pagan community, I did a lot of liturgical writing. I did a lot of um, devotional poetry and things like that. And so I, it just, 
became a part of how I express myself spiritually was to record things in words. And a lot of the experiences that I was having as a baby witch when I came to California and, um, and my teachers would often do like a, we're going to do a guided meditation to go and meet with the elementals or a guided meditation mm-hmm. to go and meet with the gods or whatever it was. We would always start by, you know, uh, take a deep breath and imagine or mm-hmm. allow to arise around you the image of your most perfect sacred home, the safest place that you can imagine. And this was meant to be like your anchor as you went out on your meditations. And what happened for me throughout this process was recognizing that I didn't want to just go to that first place and then immediately go someplace else. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wanted to stay in that first place because it was so rich and it was so beautiful and it was so much just me experiencing myself as a sacred, holy, blessed, broken, imperfect, elegant being. And so I, I started working with the ideas in the book um, around, you know, sort of that. It was sort of my lived experience that I, I felt like I, I haven't seen this written down anywhere else. And so maybe it's my job to write it down. And over time, the rest of the story developed. If there's going to be someplace inside of you that's a sanctuary, there has to be someplace inside of you that is a shadow house. And there has to be some place inside of you where you can experience all sorts of things that are present in your outer reality, the shared reality, as I like to call it. And, mm-hmm. um, and if we go in there purposefully, then we are actively engaging all of these different parts of ourselves that might not have been fully awakened yet. And so it's, uh, well, it's kind of an uprising. <laughs> it's kind of a revolution an internal revolution. Um, and, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of the story of the book. Tell me, and I know it starts out the secret country of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about that. How do you, how do you learn to go there? Is it, um, the reason I find this interesting is that, um, again, I do a lot of guided meditation and, and guided ritual and we talk and we, you know, I think those of us who've been in the spirituality can become a tree with roots in the ground in about 30 seconds because that's something we've done mm-hmm. over and over for years. But I know mm-hmm. when I've done um, guided meditations where they say, you know, go someplace where you find beautiful and safe that, mm-hmm. like for me, that's deep in the woods, the sea, uh, we're all mm-hmm. different. And I always have found that so interesting. So mm-hmm. what's this secret country look like in your book? Well, here there's a very important premise in the in the introduction of the book and that premise is mm-hmm. the the like introducing the idea that every every one of us is a doorway into our own secret country. Mm-hmm. And so essentially when I I just did a retreat last weekend and we all sit in a room together and I begin the meditation and the meditation begins with and find the image of your sanctuary rising around you. And there's no instructions on what that should look like. There's only an instruction on what it should not look like. <laughs> it should not uh-huh. be a place where you're trying to get better at anything. It should not be a place where you feel like there's work to be done. It should not be any of those things. It's, it's, it's like the womb 
it is a place of perfect peace. And within the context of the work, whatever that means for each individual person is what they bring into it. And I had, you know, for instance, at this, at the last retreat that I did, I had, um, one of the places that we go, we go to the sanctuary, we go to the shadow house, we go to the school, we go to the temple, and then we go into the realms of the elements. And um, when we went into the temple, uh, some people found that they had something very traditional, like high church sort of environment. And uh-huh. one, of the other, one of the other women there who was a huge baseball fan, she met with uh-huh. the gods of baseball. And I was oh. like, oh. <laughs> Fun. what is that? that? That is super cool. <laughs> it was amazing because for her, that was the, you know, she, she cried when she told the story because for her, because she, for her, it's a, it's a transcendent experience to watch baseball. And so it was just so fascinating. And I've had people, you know, when I first started doing this work and I was trying to introduce people to the sanctuary Mm-hmm. I would lead a meditation about like, now look at the floor and is there a carpet or is it hardwood or tile? And now look at the walls, are there murals, blah, blah, blah. And I got to the end of the thing and my husband turned to me and said, you know what? I, I have no house. I was in the woods. <laughs> and, so, and, and when he said that, there was like two other people in the room who were like, I was in the woods too. I was in a grove. And so it was like, you know, all the work that I have done up to the point, and I'm sure there's a tremendous amount of work left for me to do in this process, but um, all the work that I had done was like informing how I wanted to present this information. And so in the book, I talk about how if your sanctuary doesn't have walls, what kind of trees are there? And it's, it's a very <laughs> much a questioning process. Like, you know, I, my, my, the, the format is in the book, like give a little spiel about, um, about the place, what the sanctuary is and what mm-hmm. it represents. And then we do a guided meditation. Mm-hmm. And then in, in the guided meditation is a lot of questioning. Like we're going to the most safe, sacred place you can imagine. What does that look like? You know, what do you see there? What do you smell there? How does it feel? Is there movement in the wind? And so there's, uh, it's really an opening for people to step in with whatever their own personal experience is. And it's, it's very sacred. It's very beautiful. I feel like honored whenever I'm allowed to share that space with people because there's something that just kind of blossoms with that understanding that, Yes, we are broken and messed up and the world is messed up and all these things are messed up, but you are perfect. And there's a place that you can go inside of you where you can experience yourself in all that perfection. And hopefully, you know, people can go back to that place whenever they need to. That's funny because sometimes when I do guided meditation, I always have that initial fear, I'm going to do it wrong and that you have to Mm. kind of, let that go or like what your husband, I don't always see or go on the same path as the person who's speaking. And I'm always like, Oh no. So, um, so that is really, that is really interesting. So tell me about your book. Does it help you? Um, if, if this is something that's very new to you, does it help you set up that you can um, in, 
like how to do meditation and how to um, go to your sanctuary? Um, it, if somebody is very new, then I think that this will work for them on, uh, on a more informal level, I guess is what I want to <laughs> mm-hmm. say. Essentially what I want to say is that wherever you are, you are going to bring you to this craft. And so mm-hmm. wherever you are, that's what you're going to get from it. You know what I mean? So it's like mm-hmm. the people who come into it, people are going to come into it with, without a lot of experience, then they're going to have an easy introduction because mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what they're ready for. And other people, right. people in the last, uh, I teach classes online about this stuff, and I had somebody in the last course who was a really hard polytheist, and she had very strong relationships with her gods, and there were uh-huh. definitely ind- independent beings. Excuse me. And she had an experience in the temple that was so profound which for another person would not have made sense at all. Uh-huh. If, some, if somebody was brand new in the craft and they said, oh, he's a cornfield, <laughs> it wouldn't make right. sense. But for right. her, because she had this existing relationship and she had this, this deep knowledge of her gods and how they work, the symbology that showed up for her was extremely profound. So I feel like, I mean, it's not an instructional book necessarily, but it's definitely something that somebody who's very new could come into and uh, find tips and tricks for um, spiritual practices that help keep people safe, um, other good practices for sort of uh, checking in with oneself, for recording mm-hmm. one's experiences. So it's not something that should be off-putting to a new person. Um, you know, there's not there's not anything that comes before this that one would have had to have studied <laughs> to be able to understand this. You just kind of start wherever you are. Um, what I've heard you mention several times the temple. So, do you leave the sanctuary and do you go to the temple, or or tell me what the temple is? Okay, so the way that it works is that. We begin in the sanctuary because we always should begin with uh, a learning, a knowing, an understanding, a grasping of the idea that we are holy, sacred beings. Mm-hmm. No matter how messed up we think we are, we're still perfect, and we might try to get better and do things different, but we're perfect where we are. So that's where we start. And then, then we go to the shadow house. We can talk more about that later. And then we go into the temple, which is the experience of uh, whatever you perceive to be divine, where does that live in you, right? So some people, like when I begin the meditation to the temple and, okay, so we're, we're leaving the sanctuary, we're walking to this place and, oh my God, why does my temple look like a bank? That seems weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I didn't think I worshipped money, but wait, maybe uh-huh. I do. You know, so there's a lot of sort of <clears throat> informative stuff like that. Or, or you find yourself in a gym because what you really worship is physical fitness, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it, it doesn't, it's not important who 
holds that place of honor. The important thing is that you understand your relationship to whatever holds that place of honor in you. Like if you go into the temple and you find that it looks like a bank and you're like, hey, that's cool because I'm, I'm ready to make a pile of money right now. <laughs> and I feel good about that. Well, then good for you. Or if you go in there and it looks like a gym or it looks like a lab and there's the clergy or scientists, then uh-huh. if, that, if that pleases you, then enjoy if it doesn't please you, then that's when we begin working on some of those ideas. So you might go into the temple and not really have an idea of what gods are or whether gods exist at all and find the spirit of Gaia of the earth showing up mm-hmm. for you or one of the muses or something along those lines. And, and it's a, it's a place for people to learn about what they deify like what do I consider a god in my life mm-hmm. you can learn it there does it change over time as you grow and explore does your temple room can it change or is it always what it is it absolutely changes <clears throat> everything changes Mm-hmm. You know, that's I, another important piece of it. Like we start in the sanctuary and then we go out traveling and we do all these adventures and, you know, we, we meet some shadows and we hear some stories and we meet some gods and then we meet some teachers and, and then we come back to the sanctuary every time. And so the sanctuary is constantly changing and it's mm-hmm. gathering stuff that we've, you know, we might have, um, gotten some holy water at the temple and brought it back to the sanctuary or we might have gotten you know a a gift from a shadow and brought it back to the sanctuary the sanctuary is like our home in that sacred inner space and Mm -hmm. so all all of these places are changing through our interaction with them so i know that you have mentioned um the shadow house several times can you tell me a little bit about that and its relationship to the um, secret sanctuary? Absolutely. So the idea that became to make itself known to me was that Uh if there is a place where you go where it's the most perfect, amazing, sacred, uh, safe, and holy place you can imagine, that's Uh like the seat of your soul, then there has to be another place where those parts of you that you never wanted to see again, those experiences that were traumatic or detrimental, that you've hidden uh-huh. those things away. And, you know, there are many, many, many spiritual paths and teachers and psychologists have, have talked uh-huh. about the value of in, engaging with the shadow <clears throat> in terms of, um, you know, the shadow being that thing that, that will destroy you if you ignore it. But if you embrace it, it will uplift you. And uh-huh. so the idea, the idea in this craft is to go into the shadow house, whether it's a house or not a house. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't have walls, just like the sanctuary doesn't have walls. But um, to go into the shadow house and, and make a purposeful, compassionate attempt at reaching out to some part of yourself that has gone missing in that way. So it has a little bit of similarity to soul retrieval, um, not uh-huh. entirely the same, um, but 
it's really about listening to the stories and being willing to hear the stories of our own pain or our own own anger, rage, hate, whatever it is. Um, And that's sort of the first step in, first of all, Mm self-knowledge and self-healing and just becoming all of who we are. We're taking these things in and saying, okay, I don't like this but I can no longer ignore it. It's a part of me. And so I'm willing to hear the story and let that come into me. And then, and just allow that to reside within yourself and, and, and see how it changes how you move through the world. So the the first part of the book has a lot to do with getting ready to do all these things. Cause some uh-huh. of the stuff, like oh let's go meet the shadows and embrace them (laughs) wow that could be really scary in some cases i was gonna say i mean and for a lot of us they will have you know they may have deep trauma in their in their life so that is um yeah that is actually very um very um scary to do yeah because they probably yeah you mentioned monsters early those are monsters that they probably have locked up for a, a long, a long time. So I would imagine it would be very hard to go there and open that door for some people. Yes, absolutely. And you know, chapter I don't know, chapter three somewhere in there in the early part of the book, in the preparation uh-huh. part, there's a whole section about uh, gaining allies. And gaining allies means do, do we go? We go find our spirit guides. We do meditations and all that kind of stuff. And then we also think do I need a therapist? (laughs) Do I need Uh a medical doctor? You know, who do I need on my team to help me work Uh through these things? Because the fact is that the, these, these events weren't generated solely on a spiritual realm. They were generated Uh often in the physical realm. And so they need healing in the physical realm as well. Wow. That's very, that is very, very, very powerful. So, um, so is the shadow world or the shadow house somewhere that you um, you just periodically go, or how does it how does it fit in? The way the my program shadow house is, is probably of... really big. It's probably a mansion. It's probably really big. <laughs> <laughs> it's got ex-husbands in it. It is really big. Oh my gosh, that's the that's the best kind of shadow house right there. There you go. Oh, yeah, I got lots of work to do. <laughs> Like You're going to write a second look, look for me. I can already tell. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I kind of I look at it in a way it's like excavation, right? You're like, yes, yeah. this was a disaster, but is there anything in here that's salvageable? Is there any bit of it that wasn't terrible? Um, you know, and that's just like, you know, because I'm not, I'm not a fan of the like, we must purify ourselves, you know, that's, yeah. That's not my take at all. My take is that, above all, we are compassionate with ourselves because so many of us have been through a tremendous amount of shit, if I can say that on the radio, <laughs> that, um, that there's, you know, that there's such a, a, a prevalence of the idea that we're either way too hard on ourselves or way too soft on ourselves, you know, and so the idea that I'm trying to get to is that we can enter into those uh, difficult places 
with an attitude of compassion and of courage, right? It takes courage to go in there and say, (laughs) hello, please tell me your story. I don't like you. I never have liked you, but I'm willing to hear your story right now. And because we're doing this in this sort of internal reality, there aren't necessarily consequences in the shared reality. So we don't have to call up the ex-husband and say, look, we need to process. (laughs) We have another venue where we can do that. And it really, it affects change in our, it, it affects change in the shared reality to do that inner reality work. I know so you, the, the, you lead retreats on this. Have you seen people have um, breakthroughs, or um, what are some experiences you've seen people have as they do this work? Some of the experiences that I've seen people have have been, uh, for instance, on my last retreat, we were mm-hmm. talking about um, we were getting ready to go into the shadow house, and this was with a person who had she has already read the book, so she knew what was coming. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And she, she was like, I don't know why we have to do this. <laughs> and I was like, well, because, because this, this, and this. And she was like, well, I don't, you know what, what's the point? Why do you have to go dredging up old shit? And I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, we don't, we don't go in there to dredge up stuff. We go in there to talk to stuff that's dredging itself into our shared reality right so Uh when I notice um, particular behaviors in myself I'm like where does that come from that's not comfortable Mm -hmm. let me go to the shadow house and see what I can find out Um, and so through this conversation it was and it was really an object lesson right we're getting ready to go in the shadow house she got mad at me I got mad at her was like she <laughs> was just like this crazy weird moment and then all of a sudden she was like oh it's grief it's not anger or pain or any of these things it's just sadness and the switch just flipped for her and she was able to perceive her experience in a very different way wow did she have any idea of what her grief was about or she could just feel the emotion she, she did she knew what it was about. It was about something that she thought had been resolved. Right. And it turned out that it had not been resolved all the way to the bottom. Right. And uh, so, and when we ended up going into the shadow house in that meditation, we go into the sanctuary first, always. And then from the mm-hmm. sanctuary, we go to the next place. And when she went into the sanctuary, she got to meet with the person she was grieving for. So it was a oh, very wow. profound <laughs> experience. Wow. Tell me, I know you also mentioned um you go the um also go to the school. What is what is the inner school? The school is that place where we uh engage with the idea of knowledge. So the school might be a place where you can go and ask Shakespeare what you can do with your play that you're stuck on, or it might be a place that you can go and try to get inspiration for a painting that you're working on or a a mathematical concept that you're working on. Um, And one of the things that I think I try to make clear in the beginning of the book is that, that your internal reality is absolutely crucial, right? Your internal reality shapes your life. And your internal reality doesn't have to, although it might, uh, integrate 
entirely with the shared reality. The important thing is to recognize we have an internal reality and we have a shared reality. And it's okay if they're not exactly the same all the time, as long as we can like pay our bills and go to work, <laughs> keep food on the table. Um, right. Exactly. Um, and so, so that, that the idea that one can go into the school and meet with a, a master of their craft and have some kind of interaction with them and have that be something that inspires some kind of new understanding, something new that they can either bring out into the shared reality or just something that shifts for them in their own mind um, is, is a potent tool. The other thing that happens in the school is that we, like in each one of the places that we go, we gain some gifts. We gain uh-huh. joy and fulfillment. We gain courage and compassion. We gain um, curiosity and creativity and so forth. So in the, in the school, we learn about how to be willing to be wrong. We learn about how no matter how much we think we know, there's uh-huh. always the possibility that, uh, that, we, that somebody else knows something different that might have something of value to give to us. Wow, that's we a big to... realm. That's a big realm to go into. <laughs> the, the ability, to, the possibility of being wrong is, I mean, cause, yes. because our culture teaches just the opposite, that you always need to be right. So that that in itself would 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 be very powerful, I would think. Mm-hmm. It often is for, for a lot of people. And for myself included, when I started working with those ideas that – you know, it's, if, if we think about it all in terms of it's, it's all just information, everything that we get, every experience we have, every, every difficulty, every bird song, every car breakdown, everything, it's all just information that sometimes the information indicates that you are wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you are not willing to entertain the idea that you're wrong out on a ch- something new. And so I really felt like it was important to fold that in to this craft, the idea that, you know, we don't want to miss out on learning because we're convinced. I think think my phone, I think I lost you for a second. Yeah, it is. um, Yeah, that is really, that is very powerful. And that, that, yeah, that really, that is something the ability to <laughs> say that is to be wrong. It's it because again, our culture um, doesn't allow a lot of space for that. So, That's uh, true. so what other places can you go in your inner sanctuary, in your um, inner being, in your inner country? Well, the the places that we talk about specifically in the book are the sanctuary, the shadow house the temple and the school. And those are all the sort mm-hmm. of human centered places. Right. Then we go to the realm of air, the realm of fire, the realm of earth. And we allow ourselves to become sort of melded in with those realms and those beings. Then we go to the heart of the cosmos, the heart of the world, and then back to the heart of ourselves. And that's the journey. But wow. what happened was, and that's like the basic idea. That's the basic framework. Mm-hmm. And when, when I was off at this retreat, 
uh, my husband was there and he was not participating in the retreat. He had his own secret country work that he was doing. And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he said, um, he came back and he was like, oh, I found a new place in my secret country. It, whatever it was, I can't remember. But, you know, oh, it was the river of this. And then I came upon this. And then I, I stumbled into the library of this. And I was like, oh, my God, now I have to write another book. Because there you go. All of those those places sound awesome. So so what, what the book does is it basically teaches uh, sort of the – the principle of the thing, the framework, the outline of it. And then once people get a handle on that, then we can spend the rest of our lives exploring the beauty of ourselves because we're constantly uh, being unearthed. New things are being revealed. And so there's like all this treasure, there's treasure. We can go in there and find it. So I know you mentioned um, that you do retreats. Is that something that you do on an annual or, or um, is that something you do on a regular basis? Retreats for the past. Um, the, the retreats that I was doing before the book came out were mm-hmm. sort of uh, like preparatory to the book. And like mm-hmm. those those people, they were like beta testers <laughs> for the book. And now, right? And you know, I have, I've been teaching for many many years in many different contexts, and so I had I had been teaching within my own lineage of fairy trad, and that's where a lot of this stuff originally came up. And mm-hmm. so it passed through several sets of students, um, you know, to ensure that it was safe. Um, and also effective. But then when I started putting all the pieces together, I was like, okay, wait a second. I need to get in a, in a space with like eight to 10 people and we need to go through this process to ensure that it actually works um, in that sort of context, mm-hmm. which we did. Um, and then we just finished one last week, like I said, and that was the first time that I've taught all in one weekend it was four days from start to finish it was it was jam-packed from the moment we started to the moment we ended it was quite a lot so I'm trying to figure out if if it's going to be going forward if if that's the best way to do it or not I'm also starting another program here in the uh, Bay Area where I'm going to be doing a nine-month-long program where we have a, a meeting uh, an in-person meeting, then we have a group phone call, then we have individual phone calls for a month um, on each one of these places. So uh, I think that'll give us the time to kind of expand into it a little bit and experience things in more depth. Oh, wow. that That is nice. Have you ever thought about doing stuff online? So those who don't live near you could, uh, could uh, do this. I know a lot of people, I'm not a tech person, and so, um, you know, I don't do Facebook. I just am not a tech person. But, but I know um, I've uh, talked to another author that that's something that she's exploring. I mean, online rituals, online groups, and I and, uh, just wonder if that's something. It sounds like this might fit into that really well. 
I think that it probably will go in that direction. I've actually made a Facebook group for the Secret Country Travelers group. Um, oh. And so I'm just starting that. Trend, but they, um, I have taught the same material online in several different forms. That's also in the works because it just I mean, is terrible and it's expensive and not good for the earth. It would be better if we could do more things online and kind of still right. give that sort of rich experience that you have with people. And that's one of the reasons why I'm coming really to PSG is so that I can have that sit down face-to-face time with people and connect with them on that level. So if at any point in the future we do work together in a, in a virtual format, we will mm-hmm. have at least seen each other's faces. It's funny, uh, an author told me many years ago, which I had never thought about, um, once you um, hear an author's voice, when you read their books afterwards, you will, you will hear their voice in your head. And so, <laughs> and, and they were, so they're like, you know, when you meet an author, and, it, and it's true, I mean, I had stories of an author that, I didn't think really interested me and I didn't go to a lot of the classes until I actually met them. And then I mm. understood kind of, I understood a great deal of what they were trying to speak about. And so again, mm-hmm. that's why I, I tell people that festivals, especially um, Peggy at Spirit Gathering, it's just so much fun because I mean, first of all, there's a thousand people there. Then you know, it's just you know, you can't go to Kroger and talk about uh, do you start your circles <laughs> in the east or the north, but you can here, and so that's fun. <laughs> but then you get to meet a lot of great musicians and authors, and uh, um, yeah, it's just really fun. And 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 we're all excited about you presenting this year. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be there. Now, are you a camper? Do you like to camp, or is this a new experience for you too? Um. Weepers uh, in the past, we are, uh, you know, of a certain age now, my husband and I, so we're like, <laughs> we're all going to be like on the PSG Facebook group going, hey, does anybody have an air mattress? Because we're flying out from California and, you know, so we'll see what happens, but I'm sure it'll be fine either way. I'm sure they will. Uh, my children who are adults make fun of me because, uh, you know, I, I'm like, you know, I'm a big camper and it sounds very rugged. But I have a pop-up, you know, that has air conditioning and heat. And I have a portable DVD player. I can watch Harry Potter on. So my children don't think it's very much roughing it. Although people who don't know me are still impressed and they hear, like, you know, we go camping every month. So anyway, but, um, again, it's really, really fun. And we'll find lots of people to uh, to help you. And uh, I'm sure that we'll get you stuff. So it's really, it's really, really fun. So... Tell us, um, again, where's the best place to get your book? Because I'm going to do that tonight. Where is the best place for people to find your book? So my book is available through all of the regular online retailers, Amazon and all that lot, um, Barnes & Noble. It's also available on my website. If you buy it from my website, I can sign it before I send it to you. And that is uh, www, <laughs> www.jenyatbeachy.com, jenyatbeachy.com. 
and uh, the shop there is easy to find, and I'm happy to uh, sign books for everyone. Um, and let's see, that's it, I think. And also there's, uh, I guess, Goodreads is another app or website that people use that um, has more information about the book and more reviews about the book and, and all that. Do you have, if someone is in your area, lives close to you and is interested in your nine-month program or your retreat, is that also listed on your website? It's not on the website yet, but there is a contact me page on the website that people can go okay. ahead and fill that out and send me a note and say, hey, I'm interested in that. So it's it's under development right now. I'm working on the venue. Um, and And so I would love to hear from people who are interested in doing that. So what um, what um, I will make the assumption that you're teaching a workshop at, at PSG. What is the name of your workshop or workshop? Um, I'm doing two things uh, there. I'm doing a secret country of yourself sort of uh, <laughs> intro workshop. And then I'm also doing a ritual of the deep well and great heart, which is another project that I'm involved in that is to do with um, – <clears throat> Increasing the flow of compassion through the world, through the use of elves in, um, you know, in puddles or coffee cups or big, beautiful, elegant uh-huh. glass vases or what have you, um, and send energy and prayers into the water that anywhere, anybody can uh, make a well of their own and draw forth that energy. So it's essentially a mechanism for sending out good juju into the world um, where anybody can call it forth they have need all right and then i'm well, also I'm doing a, i'm doing it go ahead i was going to say Keep i'm going. doing a meet and greet um Ooh. not sure what time or when that's, that's going to be but fun. Oh. And for those of you who haven't been that's basically they put an author with their book and i will give you some some psg camping hints brain cash and if you want a book, get it early. <laughs> because my partner, who is a collector of books and who is a collector of signed books, who then won't let me touch them because they're signed and they're precious, I have a tendency to think, <laughs> well, let me see. I'm going to go shop and let me see. And the books are never there. So shop early and shop fast. <laughs> so I will tell everybody that hint because books go fast at this. But typically they'll have – it's in a workshop space. And they'll have an author set underneath a, a canopy that's real shaded in. And not only can you get a book signed, it, it gives you a chance to ask a question or say hello. or, or And it's just a really, really fun, fun venue. So, uh, so, yeah, I think people will really, really, really enjoy that. So do you have another book coming? Uh, I have four other books that have now told uh, me they want to be written. And I'm kind of in so resistance fun. about them. <laughs> <laughs> there's too many things to do and not enough hours in the day. There you go. Well, you have been delightful. And um, the bad part about that is, is I definitely am going to have to have you back. Um, I've got lots <laughs> more to ask you. And I want to hear about your first PSG experience. But I really, really um, want to thank you for sharing about your journey and telling us about your book. Um, and um, blessings to you at PSG. I think you're going to have a great time. And, and thank you so much for sharing that with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me.
And if you want more information or to purchase a signed copy of Jenna's book, please visit her website at www.jennatbeachy.com. And that's J-E-N-Y-A-T-B-E-A-C-H-Y.com. If you'd like to meet or hear Jenna in person, like we've been talking, you need to register for Pagan Spirit Gathering. Pagan Spirit Gathering, your PSG, is held this year at Tall Tree Lake in Southern Illinois from June 17th to the 24th. If you'd like to register or get more information, visit the website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Besides Jenny, I'd like to thank David, our sound engineer, for his technical expertise. I'd like to thank Pagans Tonight on Blog Talk Radio for hosting our show. And finally, I'd like to thank all of you out there, our listeners, for your continued support of all of our shows here on Circle Radio. Remember, we're here each Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Central, or 9 p.m. Eastern Time Zone. And each week we'll be exploring various topics of interest to the Pagan community. Next week we'll be presenting another presenter from PSG 2018, so make sure you can join us. We'll now transition our show with a musical selection. Good night, everybody, and blessed be. One spirit in the dark, like a candle wavers. Many spirits joined as one, burned with the power of the blazing sun. Okay.